0: Welcome into Locked On Blackhawks for Monday, November 26, 2019. My name is Jay Zawoski. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we are coming off a Blackhawks victory. A very busy show. We're going to talk about the loss to the Kings. We're going to talk about the win over the Ducks. And it's also Mailbag Monday, so tons to get to on today's show. First, let me tell you how to get in touch with the podcast Follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Blackhawks. Send an email to lockdownblackhawks at gmail.com or send a voicemail to 708 653 0572. 708 653 0572. If you don't want to send a voicemail, you can email a voice memo to lockdownblackhawks at gmail.com. It all works, it all uh, creates the same result, but it's nice to get other voices on the podcast. want to get your voice, the listener's voice on the podcast. And we have a number of voicemails to play in the Mailbag Monday segment. So let's get right to it. The Hawks get a win over the Anaheim Ducks. And boy, early on, it really felt like it was going to be finally an easy victory. The Hawks get out to an early 2-0 lead. Things look pretty good. They're playing well. You know, they're scoring on a, they scored a power play or the Bocas goal came right after power play expired. They're controlling the puck. Then as the game goes on, we're seeing more and more of what we've seen all season from the Blackhawks where they can't get the puck. And, you know, the the other team is in the zone for uh, extended periods of time and the Hawks are just battling to get it out of the zone and even control the puck a little bit so much so they can even ice it. It's really, really hard to figure out what is causing this? And I don't—I don't want to be too negative after a win, and they played well. But we're going to get into this sort of like—is it the system? Is it the talent? Is it both? I—I truly don't know the answer. But all I can do is look at what I see and and tell you what I see and tell you what I hear from people. And and from what I'm hearing, it's—it's it's probably a combination of the both. One thing is for sure, the Blackhawks are a slow team. And when you talk about losing races to pucks, and when you talk about not getting, uh, not being able to clear the puck or win a board battle or win a puck battle, speed is a big factor in that. Look, if a defender is going to get to the puck before you, that's a built-in advantage. And you look up and down this lineup, right? You look at uh, Duncan Keith, I would say above average speed, right? Olimata slow, Brent Seabrook slow, Kubalik. For a forward, is, is I would say probably average speed. DeBrinckit's fast, but not blazing fast. Strom is slow. Taves has lost a step. Sod is a below average speed top six forward. Ryan Carpenter's on the slower end. Adam Boquist is fast. Calvin DeHaan's a stay-at-home defenseman with average speed. Gusterson, even though he's an offensive defenseman, doesn't have speed. David Kamp isn't fast. Andrew Shaw isn't fast. Kirby Dock has a nice stride, and once he gets going, he has some speed but he's not a shifty or uh, very elusive forward. Patrick Kane, he's got some speed, but he doesn't always use it. He's a slow, methodical player. Drake Kajula has speed, but he can't control himself. Nylander can be fast. But look, that's not enough team speed. And Jeremy Colleton's system, whatever it is, I don't think any of us have an understanding of it yet. I don't even think the Blackhawks have an understanding of it yet. I promise you, it's not never have the puck and constantly turn it over. That's not the system. I'm 99% sure that's not what Jeremy Collin is telling the Blackhawks to do. I can pretty much guarantee that. Is, could it be overcomplicated? Absolutely. Could it be too restrictive? I played the audio from Duncan Keith last week where he sort of said, like, look, everything we do in the system is kind of already decided. There's no room for freewheeling. There's no room for um you know improvising that could be part of it too but we're seeing a trend even after a win in Anaheim 3-2 overtime win Jonathan Taves win or I'm sorry Patrick Kane wins it off a great pass from Jonathan Taves it it has a feel of like wow they they escaped that game they probably shouldn't have won that game Robin Leonard once again was outstanding stopping 36 of 38 shots it just feels like they never, ever have the puck. And if Leonard's not great, they don't have a chance. And you saw it Saturday night against LA. Corey Crawford comes out, gets off to a slow start, leaves the game, comes back, and is great. But if the goalie isn't outstanding every game, it seems like the Blackhawks don't have a chance to win. And they need it. And the Ducks are not a good team. And the Kings are not a good team. And I know these are road games. I know they're more difficult and there's built-in challenges from playing on the road, of course. But man, you got to have the puck. And if it's a matter of team speed, then the finger's got to be pointed at Sam Bowman for not identifying that. You could say all you want about the big bad Blues and Bruins and how they got to the Stanley Cup Final. Both those teams have speed to burn. And they've got big guys with speed, too. So it's not all about being big and being bruising. And yes, the Blackhawks did need to add a little bit of that this offseason. And some of the names they've added have been pretty good. But as a whole, the Blackhawks are a really slow team. And I think when we try to look at, boy, why are we seeing the same issues night after night after night regardless of opponent? That could be the simplest thing to look at. Are they simply not fast enough to keep up with the opponent? That could be. And I don't know how you fix that. You called up Adam Boquist. That's a start. Kirby Doc's here. He he provides some speed when he gets going. Dylan Secura just had a hat trick for the Ice Hogs. Should Dylan Secura get called up? Maybe. I don't know. They've got to find a way to make this team faster. And Slater Cuckoo isn't it. Dennis Gilbert isn't it. Boquist is already here there's not really much they can do. So it's a little bit concerning. Um, And and look, I, I think it's safe to say, and I don't think this is a stretch by any means, we're a month into the season here. The Hawks are not very good. They're just not. They're not a good team. And for all the high hopes we had about them being a playoff team and then surprising some people and all the ifs we had going into this season... If Taves and Kane are not going to be factors every night, if most nights don't look like Sunday night looked, then they don't have a chance. This team needs its stars to carry it, and right now those are the guys doing the least. Treat yourself to a meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now our listeners can get $5 off their first order, of $15 or more, when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code locked on. it's just, you. Know, I don't know. It, it's very hard for me to, I've been texting with a lot of people who know more about the game than I do. Scouts and people in and outside the organization and in other organizations. And I say like, what is happening? What What's the problem? And almost to a man or a woman, it's palms up. Like, I don't know. I don't, I can't tell you what the system is. Because, like I said, the system's not turn it over, lose face-offs, and lose board battles. It's hard to even visualize what the system is because they're so bad at getting the puck. It's Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's go over the pluses and minuses for Sunday's win over the Anaheim Ducks. As we always do, we'll start with the pluses. Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves connect like it's old times in overtime. Taves driving the net, peels off, puts a perfect pass to Patrick Kane, and Kane does not make a mistake. Usually when he's got a wide open net, he's not going to miss. Taves finished with two assists and a plus two. Yes, he had four penalty minutes. We'll get to that later, Uh, but a solid game. Two really good games in a row, by the way, for Jonathan Taves. Kane added a goal and an assist of his own. He also had seven shot attempts, so a solid game there for Kane. Also, Taves won 54% of the face-offs he took on Sunday night against the Ducks. The second plus, Adam Boquist scores his first NHL goal. He played 15 minutes and 44 seconds of ice time, three shots on goal, three more shot attempts. Really, really liked what I've seen from Boquist. The other thing, especially in Saturday's game against LA, a little more physical than I gave him credit for. He was taking the body. He was knocking some guys off the puck. I mentioned last week on the Madhouse podcast, make sure you check that out, by the way, at Madhouse Pod, new one coming to you Monday night. Boquist, the concern with young defensemen, I mentioned this on lockdown too, I'm sure, is that they can be overwhelmed by the moment, and they can be trying so hard to not sink that they just spend time trying to survive and not attack. Boquist, from the moment he took the ice, has been in attack mode. And he, there have been a couple moments defensively where you say, oh boy, you know, there was a blind turnover to the middle of the ice he shouldn't have made. Just a couple mistakes he'll make and he'll learn from over time. But I'd rather see him learning at the NHL level than down in Rockford. The competition here is better. And I I, I call to this often. Tavo Taravainen, when he was in Rockford, was not blowing any minds. A lot of times you'd read reports from the game and say, yeah, Tevo had a really nice, uh, beautiful setup, and, and the teammate just couldn't finish it, right? Sometimes the minor league game for skilled players like Tevo Terravin and like Adam Boquist can slow them down a little bit because the talent they're playing with is not as skilled and not as capable as it is at the NHL level. So sometimes you'll see guys that are more offensive-minded and more elite, as far as the skill set goes, struggle at the lower level. Boquist has come up, played with players his caliber and better, obviously, and has really looked good. Had a shot late in the third that was a shot on goal, deflected, and hit the crossbar. His instincts offensively are dynamite, and I like the fact that he has not been scared to use them in his call-up with the Hawks this season. The next plus goes to Robin Leonard, of course. Absolutely outstanding. Again, stopping 36 of 38 Anaheim shots on goal. Many of them difficult chances. Many of them second or third opportunity chances. I said this about Leonard from the first couple games we saw from him this season. He is so composed in the net. Not only is he enormous, not only is his positioning excellent, he never gets overwhelmed. If the puck's loose in front of him, he locates it, he knows where it is, he knows what to do next to keep the puck out of the net. You don't see mad scrambles from Robin Leonard unless they're absolutely necessary, and even when he does that, he usually makes a save. He's been so impressive. To me, he's been the Hawks MVP this season. He's been absolutely, absolutely tremendous and worth every penny, and there will be a question about him coming up in the Mailbag Monday segment that is very interesting, and I think you'll want to hear it. The other plus for me, Alex Nylander, assist, plus one, seven shots on goal for the Blackhawks against Anaheim. Seven shots on goal from Alex Nylander, played 1633 on the top unit with Jonathan Taves and Brandon Saad, had 351 of power play time, Nylander has very quickly become one of the Hawks' more dependable forwards. The effort level's there. The vision is there. And I think what we're seeing from um, Nylander lately is he's not deferring to the veteran players anymore. He's being more aggressive. And those seven shots are v- very well representative of that fact. Now let's get to the minuses. Jonathan Taves, as I mentioned, four penalty minutes and you can argue that the two slashing calls against Taves were a little bit ticky-tack the second one I'll give you the first one was an absolute slash maybe it doesn't get called most of the time but it was an absolute slash and we've seen this from Taves a lot this year like the palms up f-bombing the referee things like that like look I know Jonathan Taves is one of the most decorated players in hockey and if anyone can get away with that behavior it's Taves but more often than not when he's done the palms-up WTF thing to the referee, they've been correct. And I think, especially the first slash, he was wrong. The second one, the slash was there. It maybe was a little ticky-tack, but guess what, Taves? Probably F-bombing the referee after the first call isn't going to get you the benefit of the doubt next time. You can see the frustration from Taves, and I'm thrilled that the last two games for him Sunday night and Saturday night, have been two of his best of the season. And hopefully he's getting out of this slump he was in. But the bad penalties, especially both in the third period, in a one-goal game, the second penalty led to the tying goal. The captain's got to be better than that. Look, we've talked about this ad nauseum this year. If he's not going to score, he's got to do the other stuff right. Right, He's got to be a great defender, or he's got to be a great leader. Taking penalties, being garbage in the defensive zone, and not scoring, what are you doing well? Great game for Jonathan Taves tonight offensively. I still want to see him clean it up defensively and with the penalties. It's too much. Next minus goes to Andrew Shaw, who I really think, after the start of the season, has really dropped off in far, in terms of quality of play. of ice time Sunday night he had a shot on goal one hit but man he's turning the puck over blindly uh going off sides just really lack of focus moves from Andrew Shaw in in this game and in a couple previous games and uh you know I I, he's got to be better for the money he makes and the role he's brought in to do he's got to be better and my next minus goes to Drake Kajula who for the most part has been pretty solid this year, but lately he's been playing a little out of control. Like skating past pucks that are there or just slamming into the boards. Like I know he's trying to bring energy, but you've got to bring energy with some sort of effectiveness. Drake Kajula did not bring that Sunday night. He hasn't been bringing it lately. So I want to see Drake Kajula be better. Time for the Mailbag Monday segment here on Locked on Blackhawks. If you want to get involved with next week's Mailbag Monday, it's never too early to send your email. Blackhawks at gmail.com. You can send us a voicemail, 708-653-0572, 708-653-0572. And if you want to just send the voice memo from your phone, I know that number doesn't work internationally. Just record it on your voice memo then hit that up arrow and send it along to LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com, and I'll get it there. It Any way you want to do it, it works. So appreciate the voicemails. Got a few this week. Got one that was not usable because of the audio quality, but uh, Frank from North Central Arkansas, always appreciate your voicemails, but that one was a little tough to hear. I understood it, and I'll write you back, but I don't think it would work on the air. Uh, so we're going to skip it for this week. But first email... Goes is from Zach. He wrote this after the Nashville game, which to me I said was probably their worst game in the last 10 years. Then they played LA. Mm, They got a point out of that one at least. Zach Anderson says, Oh boy, that was a bad game. My biggest question mark after this game is about Robin Leonard. He's been our best player on the ice so far this year. And given that he's on a one year deal, this makes me nervous. He's repeatedly voiced his opinion of the team and came to Chicago to complete for the playoffs. If the Blackhawks can't turn this around, I could see him requesting a traitor just walking at the end of the season. Thoughts? Zach, it's a good question. And I don't get the vibe that he's going to want to leave. But if the Hawks are going to want him back, if he plays the entire season like this, they're going to have to pay that man and pay him a lot. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. That's a bit concerning. If he if he continues... and Look, it's probably unlikely he'll continue the level of play he's provided this year. That's probably a bit unlikely because he's been dynamite behind a pretty garbage team so far. Um, but you're looking at what? Seven? Eight? For Robin Leonard? After putting two years in a row of, like, Vezina-level goaltending? You're going to have to pay him. I wonder if they say to him, look, Robin, you've come in here, you've been our MVP, you've been a team leader vocally and on the ice. How about an extension? How about we up your pay? You know, you're making $5 million this year. Why don't we give you a two-year $6 million deal for the next two seasons? $6 million each. See what he says. I don't know if Colin Dealey is ready in two years. Maybe. Maybe Kevin Lankinen's is ready in two years. But I do not want to I do not want to reach this offseason with neither Corey Crawford nor Robin Leonard locked up. And I'm sorry. I love Corey Crawford. I'm not giving him another deal. I'm just not. He's at the end of his career. It's not it's not a. it's the same thing with Seabrook. I'm not mad about it. It is what it is. You're a guy with a lot of mileage. You've played a long time. It goes. At some point, you lose it, and it looks like Corey Crawford's lost it. Look, he came back in the game against L.A. on Saturday after leaving because of the concussion protocol. It was great. He was awesome. There's no questioning that. But more often than not, you you feel yourself sort of rolling your eyes at some of the goals that get past him. And the way this team is now, Robin Leonard has to be the guy. And I, I feel like it's fairly obvious that Leonard is the starter. They're no longer swapping starts. Robin Leonard's getting 2-3, of 3-4, three, three of and that's how it should be. Next one comes from Chris. He said, after Tuesday night's game against the Predators, I couldn't help but question Gustafson. Good question. The power play has zero goals in its last 20 opportunities. That was true, as at that moment. Gus is supposed to be a driving force in the power play, yet as previously mentioned, the power play has zero goals in the last 20 opportunities. I don't want to overreact, but nearly 15% of the season is complete, and Gus appears to be regressing. That said, is it worth having him in the lineup? Well, look, I know you sent this, Chris, before Adam Bocas got called up, and Gustafson came back and played Sunday night and was a little bit better. Not great. I didn't really notice somebody who was a plus one, played 14-22. He was fine. I didn't see any egregious errors from him. And maybe that's what he needed was just a wake-up call to say, look, dude, you're not entitled to ice time because you had a good game last year or a good season last year. He's not. He's not. I mean, I, I said I would have moved him last week. This summer I would have moved him. I don't think he's that great. He had a great year. There's no doubt about it. He had a great year last year. I'm not sold that that's the real Eric Gustafson and I would move him as soon as I could. And yeah, he's probably losing value by the day, but just wait till some team has an injury to an important power play puck mover. Someone will come calling for Eric Gustafson. Look, you're not going to get much for him anyway. He's unrestricted at the end of this year. Boquist looks like he's into plans. Even if he goes back down this year, he'll definitely play all 82 if he's healthy next year. Um, there's really no point to Gustafson on this team, especially with Ian Mitchell on the horizon and Dennis Gilbert showing he can play at the NHL level. He's more of a luxury than anything. I would, I would, I would trade him sooner than later. Next email comes from Coach Scott. He said, Jay, Jeremy Cowden gets fired by December 1st. You taking the over or under? Maybe the better question is whether Stan wants to die on the hill fighting for a 34-year-old coach. This team is a mess in all three zones in both special teams and the Blackhawks had gotten completely embarrassed twice in their first 11 games, Philly and Nashville. You can't have a franchise pitching one goal and pretending that this team is competitive at this point in the season. It doesn't pass the smell test. Here's the thing, and Scott, thanks for the email. If Jeremy Cowden's fired, so is Stan Bowman. There's no way you let Stan Bowman fire Joel Quenville because you chose Bowman there. You can't let Bowman fire Quenville, then fire Cowton and bring in another coach. No way. If you're if only one person gets fired, it's got to be Bowman. If you want to give Cowden a year and fire the GM for not making the team good enough, I'll buy that. But if you fire Cowton, it's got to be you got to get rid of Bowman too. You cannot give him another shot at hiring a head coach, and chances are, if and when this year the Hawks do fire Jeremy Colleton, Mark Crawford's going to be the guy. Maybe it's an interim thing, whatever. Maybe they shop in the offseason for whoever they think will be full-time, but Mark Crawford is right there, and at the time, I praised Jeremy Cowden for having the balls to bring in a guy with that pedigree to be his assistant coach. But guess what? If the Hawks can't figure out the system, and they don't start playing better. That may have been an unwise move for Jeremy Cowden, because there's the answer right there. There's a guy that's done it and has done it recently and would have the respect of the veteran players on the team. So December 1st, I'm going to say over. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Jeremy Cowden is fired this year. And that would mean Sam Bowman, too. But I think, I think they would give it until middle or late December to make that move. All right, let's go to our first voicemail of the show. This voicemailer did not leave his name, but the area code is 630. Let's give it a listen. If Adam Boakfist is going to be here for the foreseeable future, and players like Cuckoo and um, Connor Murphy seem to be getting some strong minutes in the lineup, how do we justify keeping Justice Gustafson? um does he have any trade value left uh and what is it also do you think Boquist is going to stay here past the nine games thanks for the voicemail I did just address the uh Gustafson thing yeah I think if if your plan is to have Boquist here all year I would look to move Gustafson as soon as possible as for Boquist the nine game thing that we discussed with Kirby Doc does not qualify with Adam Boquist that's only CHL players in the year they're drafted if you don't know I'll explain it to you. Kirby Dock, because he was drafted from the Saskatoon Blades, the CHL has an agreement with the NHL that any player drafted from that league, if they play their rookie year, can only play for the team they're drafted for in the NHL or they have to go back to the CHL. Teams have a nine-game trial to decide whether or not the player is going to play or go back before they burn the first year of the contract so as soon as Kirby Doc plays nine games which I believe would be Tuesday or Thursday that would activate the first year of his deal and they said he's going to be here this year so it's going to happen that's not the case with Boquist they can send him up and down as they please next voicemail comes from Sean Hey, Jay. This is uh, Sean. I just wanted to say uh, appreciate the show. It's nice to be able to listen to you at work uh, and get some uh, good insight on the games. Uh, I had a question, probably a few, but just wanted to ask one. Uh, what is it that creates such crazy uh, shifts where we're in for long periods of time and it seems like all we're doing is completely scrambling around? Is it because guys lose their guys, or what? Sean, thanks for the voicemail. appreciate that. Again, if you want to leave a voicemail, 708-653-0572. Appreciate the game on in the background, by the way. I like you calling in while you're watching the game. Yeah, I addressed it early in the show. It feels like even in games the Hawks win, like they did Sunday night, it's a lot of chasing. It's a lot of time spent in their own zone trying to retrieve the puck. And... I wonder how much of that is team speed. I wonder how much of that is lack of skill. But look, when you see star players, and remember, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tays both were over point-per-game players last season. When you see guys like that all of a sudden struggling to play the very basics of hockey, I do think system plays a role too. And I've been told that Jonathan Taves is having trouble grasping the system. And Brent Seabrook, this weekend, when asked about playing with Calvin DeHaan, he said, yeah, he's a good defenseman. He's probably a little more familiar with Jeremy's system than I am because he's played in it longer. These are veteran guys, many of which will be Hall of Famers, or at least potentially have their numbers retired, struggling to pick up a system that's been in place for almost a year now. If that's the case, something in the system needs to be tweaked. I know they're slow. I know they're not as skilled as they used to be, but adapt the system. One thing I praised Jeremy Colliton for last season was his willingness to put guys in situations where they would thrive, right? Put them in situations where they could take advantage of their skill and use it that was Eric Gustafson was a perfect example this year it seems like no one's doing anything they're good at I can't imagine that these great skilled players have over the summer forgotten how to play hockey and look you could say if it was Taves or Kane like man they're getting a million chances and they're just not going in that's not the case the chances aren't even there I'm not going to blame the entire thing on Jeremy Colleton and i'm not going to blame the entire thing on the players it's probably a combination of both but they better figure out what it is it's already slipping away let's be honest the the reality of the hawks making the playoffs this season is pretty dim as it stands right now anyway they're going to need to find a way to rattle off several wins And rack up several points. They're already seven points out of a playoff spot. And yeah, they've got four games in hand with Calgary, who's a team ahead of them. Two games in hand with Vegas. who They also have 18 points. The Hawks have 11. They can't keep playing games like they played in Anaheim on Sunday, in LA on Saturday, and in Nashville last week. They're not going to do Jack if that's how they play. Before we wrap up, I want to address an email. Uh, I got some version of this email from lots of people. So I'm going to use the one that Jeff sent. Um, Last week, I played audio from Duncan Keith on the Spit and Chicklets podcast. And he talked about how he used to love Joel Quenville because Joel Quenville would let the guys create. And he said, you know, nowadays, it seems like things are so regimented, blah, blah, blah. Then you saw Brent Seabrook sort of pissed about being scratched last, last week. So here's Jeff's question. Had a thought about Seabrook this morning after hearing the DK, Duncan Keith, interview on Chicklets and wanted to hear your thoughts. Do you think Seabrook being scratched had more to do with his vocal leadership in the locker room more than his numbers on the ice? With Keith talking about the need for simplification, was Siebs the voice in the locker room that was pushing back against JC's questionable system? He knows that he and a lot of other guys suck in the system and wants to go back to something basic that works. J.C. had to assert himself over the team and defend his choice in the system by putting Steve's in a press box, which has more or less made him lose the team, hence the crap performance in Nashville. If I were a player, I'd be pretty pissed if I had to guzzle the coach's Kool-Aid to play instead of actually performing on the ice. Am I reading too much into this? Thanks, Jeff. Um... I don't, think, I don't think Seabrook is being punished for questioning Colleton's system. Look, before this year started, we all discussed the possibility that Brent Seabrook would probably have to be scratched for a handful of games, maybe more, because of his declining play. I think a lot of us, and I've sort of been guilty of this a little bit too, have been connecting dots that might not be there. Because of how poorly they've performed in so many games. Look, Jeremy Calton's system, from what I'm seeing on the ice, is not complicated. Get the puck over the line and dump it in. That's what they're doing every time they get the puck. There's almost no zone entries that are carried into the zone. Unless they start off as sort of odd man breaks or whatever. It feels like 60-70% of the zone entries are dump-ins. It doesn't get much more simple than that. The problem is you've got to be fast enough to go get the puck, and you've got to want to compete enough to go get the puck. And while I do think there are some guys unhappy with the system and unhappy with Cowlitton and the way they're being used, the a lot of these same guys are the ones who are done with Joe Quenville and wanted him out. So the grass is always greener, isn't it? And I know these guys are beloved to us. And I know that because of the three championships, many of them won, we're going to take their sides and everything. But guess what? Jeremy Collin's your coach, and it's your job, and you're being paid an ass load of money to play for whoever your coach is. If if we're seeing veteran Blackhawks pout about this coach, then frankly, screw that. Screw that. These same guys who we all gave credit for being these character heart and soul guys who'll give anything for the team and, you know, quote one goal and all that stuff. Where is it? I know there's a sense of entitlement when you win some things and there probably should be. But make no mistake. As much as the Blackhawks want to go back and talk about Q like the good old days, a lot of them were done and wanted that move made and they got their way. And now things are not going the way they expected. And if they're pouting, that's crap. And as a Hawk fan, you should be pissed about it. That's going to do it for this edition of Lockdown Blackhawks. Thanks for all the great Mailbag Monday questions. If I didn't get to you, I'm really sorry. It's for time constraints. I will try to email everybody back who did not get their question on the air. But I do appreciate it. Again, Blackhawks at gmail.com or voicemail 708 653 5 7-2. We'll talk to you on Tuesday ahead of a late-night game in San Jose. Until then, Jay Zawoski signing off for Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.